Welcome to Authentic Talk, where you can hear stories, journeys, and lessons of sport, business, and life all in one. Tune into our podcast as we, Buff, Wayne, and Huff, bring you content from athletes, business professionals, and many others, leaving you with key takeaways, laughs, and useful material to inspire you and your own goals. We have guests from all backgrounds, so don't miss out. Thank you for listening. This is Authentic Talk, the podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of Authentic Talk, the podcast. You got me, myself, Wayne. You got Buff here. And you got Humphrey here. Um, Buff, you got a guest. You do, yep. you do the introductions. We got a guest. We got a guest. So this is my first guest uh, for our, our podcast, Authentic Talk. Um, and I think uh, he, he's the perfect guest uh, to, to pretty much embody uh, what we're trying to do with this podcast as a platform of you know, talking about uh, the business of sport, um, sport by itself, and just life in general, um, and how it all, um, you know, translates and um, integrates all into the same thing. So we just want to re- welcome, uh, you know, give him the platform a little bit to talk about, um, you know, early career and the things he's been able to do so far. Um, and we're going to ask a few questions uh, throughout. Um, so I just want to give uh, Reggie the platform to, you know, just talk a little bit about, you know, his um, All right. Hey, so, again, Reggie Grant, you can find me at reginaldgrant.com. Uh, old black boy from Atlanta, Georgia, grew up in Atlanta, but born in Atlanta, grew up in Seattle, Washington, from High Point Projects in Seattle. I attended University of Oregon, played a little football, ran a little track, ran my way out of poverty by taking my behind the class and, and leveraging uh, my athletic abilities. So, I attended University of Oregon on a football scholarship. Was fortunate enough to be drafted by the Jets. Had some, you know, time with the Jets, with Canada, and Miami, um, and, and leveraged that into other opportunities in business and education. Was a teacher for 17 years, and uh, now I work with the NFL Players Congress. We have a license with the NFL, where we actually work with the biggest manufacturer of licensed jackets outside China. So we do all of the NFL team jackets, all 32, and plus. We manufactured all the other teams' uh, jackets. And then we have a new apparel line that just came out. We just had a hit the ground today. And football was football. And that's playerscongress.com. And that's owned and operated by former NFL players. And we have partnerships with other people. For example, I talked to the president of the uh, Association for Professional Baseball Players, which is – organization started back when Babe Ruth was in in, uh, in the house and um, they provide funding and support for former baseball players because as most people do not understand the pension stuff is all discombobulated. We were talking about a thousand baseball players that don't get a pension. With the NFL there have been 20,000, 18 to 20,000 professional football players, about five, six to seven thousand of them actually get a pension. The other 14, 15,000 don't get a dime. So it's a, it's a the system. People don't understand the dynamics of the process. Um, so I'm a businessman, uh, facilitate some stuff, and and so my kids can eat every day. So that's a little background on me. Again, I teach a sports management class at Boston College. I own part of a company, Athletes and Cannabis, that's Cannabis Pitch Live. I have another little entity. We do uh, athletes, tech, and business around the country. Uh, do some stuff with Jesse Jackson Group because they have a tech sector of sports and, and tech 2020. 
that's ran by Dr. Joseph Bryan out of uh, the San Francisco, Oakland Bay area. And okay. uh, I'm a worker bee trying to get some stuff done. So I understand that how sports is connected to our lives, but uh, it's all about the money. Exactly. Yep. Yes, indeed. <laughs> I mean, and, and just just hearing him explain a little bit, you know, just about his background and all of the things that, you know, he has his hands in, um, you know, before we get a little bit into, you know, the business side of things, um, just want to backtrack a little bit um, about your upbringing. Um, you said you've been from um, Atlanta. Um, talk a little bit about, um, you know, just what Atlanta means to you um, and how that has, you know, helped you um, grow into the man that you've been, uh, be, become today. <clears throat> well, Atlanta was when I'm again I'm older guy. So when Atlanta during my time frame, my parents moved from Atlanta, Georgia to Seattle, Washington, three thousand miles um, to give us opportunities. Um, so they could put us on a train. My dad went out there. My mom followed him and brought the three of us. I was the oldest. I was about six years old. My brother was uh, two, and my sister one. And we got on the train in seven days on a train and. From Atlanta to Seattle to from from Greenbrier Project in Atlanta, born and Green Hospital. My parents moved three thousand miles to give us an opportunity, okay. and that's how I was able to leverage uh, my athletic ability by, by going to class. Okay, and and you know we used to go back to Atlanta when I was a kid, and it was a total different dynamic. In, in Seattle, we had opportunities. Did racism exist? Did we have challenges? Hell yeah, but the bottom line was we had more opportunities to be who we were as person and and not be always persecuted and have, have so many struggles to deal with in terms of overt racism. There was always, has been, and as I was telling my daughter today, the playing field is not level, yeah. but that doesn't matter. You still got to take care of it. Exactly. And the beauty of America with all our trials, tribulations, and drama is you can take the shit here. Yeah. If you got heart and you wanted to focus and get it done, you can have a life. I'm just a poor black boy from Atlanta, Georgia. Yep, yep. High Point Project in Seattle, Washington. But I've seen every major city in the United States of America and a few cities outside of the country. And 95% of the time, somebody else paid for me to go there. Right? Yeah. Year before the pandemic, I had been to Minnesota, Denver, and... Washington, D.C. Um, I was scheduled to go to Boston and some other places. But anyway, right? And most of the time, somebody else is underwriting that cost for me to go there and do my business. So, again, just the land of opportunity. Is it fair? Is it even? Is it equitable? Hell no. But you still can go out and do your thing. You just have to grind. Take no prisoners. Be a beast. Yeah. And uh, you can make stuff happen. In my new book, Entrepreneur, your guide to starting your business just dropped today. It'll be on Amazon tomorrow. And that's Entrepreneur, start your guide to starting your business. I'm all about business, right? right? I mean, that's the, the, the key in America is doing your own thing. I've been a teacher for 17 years. I worked on the, the state and helped create assessments and tests. And, and we know how stuff is biased. And most of the time I'd be in that room and there'd be 20 to 50 people and there'd be one or two black people. Of course, I'd be the only black man in the room. But it's all good. You just have to do what you do at an exceptional high level. Don't expect the playing field to be level. And you can take whatever it is you want to do. I just got the phone with somebody today that's a former major league baseball player, and he's pivoting what he's going to do. And I just, you know, my same advice to him was, you just got to take it. Don't ask for permission. Ask for forgiveness. 
and just get the yep. shit done. Excuse my language. No, that, oh, no you good. You that's, good. That's what we uh, created this uh, podcast for. It's, it's, it's authentic talk for a reason, so you can pretty much say what you want to. So, <laughs> But, yeah, so uh, backtracking a little bit, um, I know we're talking about, you know, you talked a little bit about the business of what you're doing now. Um, talk about your time um, in college, you know, as an athlete, um, as a cornerback at Oregon. Um, and yeah, I went to the University of Oregon when, when you know, when there wasn't that many of us in the in the in the room. It was, uh, but again, you have to make the best of the opportunity. So I went to the University of Oregon. I uh, played football. I could have ran track. I was all state in track coming out of Seattle. I actually had more opportunities in track. But in the old days, if you didn't make your time in track, they would take away your scholarship. And I needed that that scholarship to get into school. And I needed that that opportunity to get that piece yep. of paper. The education was important and critical, but I needed that piece of paper to open the doors, right? And that's what, that's what a degree does. It doesn't validate that you're an expert. It doesn't validate that you're smart. I know PhDs, they got a, a, the brain of a, yep. a pea, but they have that piece of paper to get you in exactly. the door. And that's what it's about. It's about opening the door of opportunity, getting in the door, and then execute what you need to do. So at the University of Oregon, I studied communications and um, but my, my major, minor was business and marketing and creative writing. And that's how I ended up becoming an English teacher. I took so many writing and creative writing classes that I was able to leverage that later on. Um, Oregon, again, I played with 15 guys that ended up playing at NFL. Okay. But it up, the reason, that's not for mm-hmm. long, yeah. right? So everybody thinks it's going to be in the league and they're going to play and, they're gonna, and it's going to make all this money and be all that time. And people get washed out. The guy I went to college with it was on the Jets when I was a rookie, and he was gone the first week. Tore his knee up. There was a guy that got cut hey. on the field. What was that practice? This is the old days. They cut his ass on the field. <laughs> he got beat deep. The guys got beat deep two or three times. The deep was the back coach says the next MF that gets beat deep is cut. He cut yeah. him. I just remember he was from Grambling. I'll never know. Remember his name. All I know is he got cut. That my behind wouldn't go home. Right? I was the fourth of five defensive backs drafted. Out of the 12, they had, had corners they had, and the five safeties, they kept three corners of the 12, and they kept three safeties of the five. So, you know, I, two of us were rookies. So it's about the competition, yeah. man. And so at Oregon, I just facilitated my process, did the things I needed to do, took my behind the class, I get that piece of paper, and then I was able to have the opportunity to play a little bit of the league and understanding we didn't make the kind of money that they make yeah. now. Right, I think when I was a rookie, I got a ten thousand dollar bonus and twenty nine thousand dollar base salary. I said that right. Thirty nine thousand dollars is all I made. <laughs> when I was a rookie in nineteen seventy, I made yeah. boo boo. Yeah, I'm on the board of directors for the National Alliance of African American Athletes for the last twenty nine years. We presented the award for the premier African American male high school scholar athlete. So uh, you've seen Myron Rowe, the guy that's a neurosurgeon over at Harvard, that's yeah. on the front lines that played in the league. He's one of our kids and. Jameis Winston, Haskins, um, Gerald McCoy. We put about 100 kids into the league through the Watkins Award. N-A-A-A-A. That's 4A's.com. So, uh, you know, I work with guys that help mentor those guys through the process or the organization does. I was the chairman for eight years and helped it to position itself so that we can, you know, help those guys understand as to go through the process. Again, the shit is not level. The shit is not fair. But you have to leverage the opportunity and take take yeah, care. Most definitely. Hell yeah. Um, going off of that, like backtracking, you said you spent some time with the New York Jets. So you can, can you tell me like your experience like in New York, especially going from 
Oregon to the big city of New York. So can you uh say like that? a kid in the candy factory? What the heck are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> what color, what size, what shape you want? What you looking for? <laughs> <laughs> I was a kid in the candy factory. Obviously, I have no sense that and I was even worse then. This is the kind of Hitler version of Red, right? Mm. Um, <laughs> so it was it was a fun and exciting times. Again, I was back there when Studio 54 was hot popping and the play was hot and popping, oh, and, and I was on the scene, right? <laughs> so I played after, after Joe Namath, uh, even though I met Joe last summer. We had, and I'm actually doing some a little project with him and his lawyer, but we met, uh, you know, lots of people, interesting people, some people that I still have relationships with, some of my teammates. Uh, we've connected the dots, and, and actually Chris Ward, who was the first-round pick then, he's the last lineman to have be a consensus or to be a major player to be uh, considered for a Heisman as an offensive lineman. Chris is a beast, but he lives here in L.A., and mm -hmm. I do some business with some of my other associates uh, from back in the day. So it always ends up being about people and relationships. Yep. So it was a different dynamic. Again, we didn't make the big bucks that yep. they make now. The life-changing dollars. All you got to do is get a contract. Now, if you ain't stupid, <laughs> then you can put that stuff in the new and ride the way. <laughs> Being a bus, you're okay. Right, if you're a second round pick, you're gonna get a half one million to two million, three million dollar signing bonus. You know, have they have a structure in place mm -hmm. right now. So again, opportunities are sports is a business. It is a business, it is a business. But the business is not just the players on the field. That's the small part of the dynamic. It's all those things related to it. Like people don't understand manufacturing. Or for example, we have that NFL retired players Congress license with the NFL properties. Well, that's 31 teams. You know what? The Dallas Cowboys and Jerry Jones got their own separate license, their own deal. Now, we, it took us two years after we got the NFL license to get the additional license from the Cowboys because they make grant that money. They're the number one seller. So they sell about 50% of our stuff. That means one team, the Cowboys, and 31 other teams. So the merchandising business, mm -hmm. an element of us of that business is phenomenal. It's huge. It's a money-making pit. And again, the Congress just came out with their own line of apparel. So that means when we make something, we don't have to pay the NFL the licensing right. fee, which is a, a, a really hard on a business. They have to give somebody 10, 20, 30, 40% of your stuff every time you mm -hmm. make something. Where we do something where it's our own line, that means we keep 100% of those revenues. So I hope I, I didn't go too off. Yeah. The track. No, no, you you good. You good. Uh, no. And, 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 and even and even touching on that, as far as you keep bringing up the business side, as far as NFL standing for not for long, yo, your first year with the Jets, when did when when did that mentality, that mindset really kick in? Understanding like, oh, this is a business, I got to move this way or think well, this way. That, when that, did that that's how in? I when made the team that? again. When I was at Oregon, I broke my thumb my sophomore year, um, but they didn't tell me it was broke. Now this is the old right. days, right? So they taped it up every day in spring ball. They taped it up every day in spring ball. Before spring ball is over, they go to me and when, when spring ball was over, I'm sorry, at the end of six weeks, they go, Reg, come on, you need to get in here and get your, your cast on your on your doggone thumb. I said, cast on my thumb? And they go, why cast on my thumb? Oh, because it was broke, but the coaches thought you needed to get to work in and get some practice in because, you know, you expected to start next year. And I go, damn, I'm just a piece of meat. They pimping me. I need to get paid. My payment at that mm -hmm. time was to get that education. 
right? So I realized when I was at the University of Oregon that I needed to leverage that opportunity as much as humanly possible. So when I got to the Jets, I was just, you know, a hungry little beast. You don't play in the league unless you're hungry, unless you're different. You have to be driven. If I have all girls, if I had boys, they wouldn't play in the NFL. They wouldn't have to, right? I'm not a super wealthy guy, but Mm -hmm. I'm I'm eating and they'd be in a different position. They don't have that hunger, that drive, that killer Mm -hmm. instinct. I will bite your juggler and watch the blood flow down, right? That's the instinct or the the mindset Mm -hmm. you have to have to play in the NFL or the NBA or any of the major sports where it's us that dominates. There's a reason we dominate because it's that hunger. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, mm-hmm. a, it's a good thing you bring up that hunger, too, because, um, you know, talking about, you know, sports today and, you know, just professional sports, um, they talk about, you know, how different it is, um, you know, with the younger guys having a different mentality than what, you know, some of the people who may have played um, when you played the game did. So just talk a little bit about how the game of football has changed from when, you know, when you were around as a player and then, you know, where we are uh, with the league today. Well, the game has changed because it's entertainment now. It's a different kind of entertainment and it's monster business. The, the big media contract is their big bread and butter for the, all the leagues. And so they have to at least have the facade, the face that they care about the player with. They can give a boo-boo less about mm-hmm. a player. But the player has, to, has more opportunities now to protect himself, to be aware that uh, they are a commodity. And, and they need to be totally, totally in, in a place where they can take care of themselves and their body. The technology is better. You get better training. You're eating better. You're living a better lifestyle. So you're in a position to actually maximize your physical abilities. Yeah. In the old days, come on, man. They was, they was using and abusing people, kicking them <laughs> to the curb, right? Uh, nowadays, they have – and, again, the rules have changed, so it's almost not touch football, but it's a little different the dynamic where you can knock the boo-boo out of somebody <laughs> before – now you can't do that. The, the, the look is that it's going to look bad on TV, so we don't want to do that. We're going to talk about them like a dog, even though it wasn't mm. that bad. Okay. Um, speaking like, I want to backtrack a little bit. You said, like, when you played ball, you had a, a hunger mentality every time you went out there. How do you take that approach, especially with being in the business field? Do you take the same approach, or do you tone it down a little bit? Well, again, I am able to to transfer that hunger, that 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 killer instinct into yeah. business, mm-hmm. right? That's the skill you have to develop so that you can make that transition. It's the same thing. Business is vicious. These people will steal your 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 underwear, <laughs> and yeah. the, uh, people will kill their grandmama for some money. And I'm not even going to go into uh, that whole, uh, you know. Too much, but right, it's vicious in, in the business world. So mm-hmm. you have to understand the mindset. You have to put. It's, and again, I said it earlier about people. You have to be have the right people around you. Um, you're gonna get screwed sometimes, but that's the nature yeah. of the beast, right? You're gonna have failures, and that's part of the process. You don't become a great athlete. You become a good business person unless you go through the trials and tribulations. The shit ain't yeah. easy, right? And everybody can't go with you. And, you know, everybody talk about they want to have a lot of money, but most people are too damn lazy, yeah. right? The stuff takes work. It takes a grind. It takes putting it in. It takes dealing with people you don't necessarily like. I remember when I was in the real estate business, I used to do investment real estate called 1031. 
That's when oh. somebody owns a building in Chicago and they trade it for a building in New York and they get these tax benefits and they really can, you know, all of the tax laws have been people that already got money. So when people talk about they ain't helping the poor people, hell no, it ain't designed mm-hmm. like that, right? That's why you can elevate yourself and take what you, you can yeah. get. <laughs> but I had this Russian client and he was always a cheapskate, but I wouldn't let him cheapskate me. And he get these other people that couldn't perform. He come to me, I make him pay me full boat. And I get the job done. So, you know, when he came to me, I got my gas money. Yeah. Right? So you have to have that same mindset in business as you do on an athletic field or you do in any element of your life. You deserve to have success. You deserve to have opportunities. You just have to be willing to put in the grind to position yourself to take them. And you just take it. And and that same mindset you use that a successful person whether it be as a running back or a wide receiver or offensive lineman want to knock the boo out of somebody, then you use that same mindset when you go to business um, and you will have to have the knowledge to go ahead and get the job done and just grind it out. It's a grind, but you just make it happen. True, true. Now, uh, you said, like, you said today is more about the money in the football business, which is a lot about, it's true, especially coming from the media aspect. Can you tell me something about what your thoughts is about the combine compared to, like, I know back then it wasn't too much as political. Well, the, the combine, or the, again, everything wasn't as organized, mm-hmm. right? You didn't have the tech, everybody didn't have a phone. They didn't have the technology. It wasn't instant. You know, they did something bad. I can record that shit and have it on Facebook. Bam, right now. Then it was, it was undercover. Mm-hmm. They could hide stuff. So not everybody got invited to the combine. They didn't get the best of the best of the best, even though they might have known where they were because they didn't have have um, the system in place now. So the combine now just allows guys to showcase their talent in a different way, and it's a great opportunity for those to get invited. People still don't understand that, you know, there's 7,000, 8,000 eligible seniors every year to be to go into the league. They only mm-hmm. draft seven. Seven rounds, 32 teams, about 240 people. Mm-hmm. That's it. 252 yep. or some number, right? So out of 7,000, they're going to draft 7,000 football players that are seniors or juniors or 14,000 with the juniors that are eligible to go into the league. They only pick 250 of them. And then they give another 250 free agent contract. Wow. So it's, it's 0.03% that's going to actually get an opportunity to play. The money and opportunities in ownership is an owner marketing or merchandising company. It's owning services that you provide to the stadium, to the, to the construction company that builds a doggone stadium. The L.A. stadiums cost them, what, $3 billion? Yeah. A crop don't make a grand theft amount of money. But he's spending $3 billion to build a stadium. That means he's going to make many, many, many more. Right? People, The owners pay the players. Right? That means they're making more money than they can pay – 55 of them, real money, plus they staff, real money, and the stadium support and all them people, real money. That means they're making real, real money. <laughs> mm-hmm, so then, mm-hmm. so then uh, before before we get to the business side, uh, probably one or two more questions about, you know, just uh, sport and football. Um, I know you probably play, you know, with some great players and uh, probably admire some, play- some players. <laughs> Probably admire some players, you know, uh, kind of growing up too. And as you, I'm sorry, say that again. So, just wanted to uh, before we. 
I missed the question. Before we transition into the to, into the business, gentlemen, can you hear me? Yeah, we hear you. Yep, can you hear us? Okay, okay. I can hear yep. you now. So yeah, before we uh, transition to the business side of things, uh, once again, uh, just talking about asking a few more questions about you know the sport. Um, I know you probably played with some great players, and you know probably kind of looked up to some players um, as, as you grew older a little bit too. Um, what was whether it was a teammate or somebody you played against or, or watched playing, what was uh, a player that you can name? Uh, you just admire his game, where you respected his game. Um, and well, again, lots of lots of great yeah. athletes, right? There was there was, you know, the athletes then were as good or better than some of them now because they had to be more tough mm-hmm. and tougher. There were less of us allowed to play. Like I worked with a guy, Marvin Marvin Fleming. He was the first guy to play in five Super Bowls. Played in. Um, uh, five with Green Bay and played on the undefeated team, the 72 team with the Dolphins. Talked to Marvin this morning. Um, but he was, you know, a great tight end. He's in the Green Bay Packers Hall of Fame. I remember watching him because he's a little older than I am, yeah. right? And him doing his thing. But they would only allow a certain number mm-hmm. of us to be on the football time, right? To even be yeah. on the team, right? I I, I know the guys, um, uh, Charlie Powell, who's since passed away, that fought Muhammad Ali. He was a pro boxer, fought 52 pro fights, and played seven years mm-hmm. in the NFL. You don't ever hear about Charlie Powell. I mean, there were some great athletes that did phenomenal things. Uh, I remember seeing Ali on TV when he was live and fresh and kicking people's butt. You know, they hated him because he talked crazy, but it is what it is. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so there were some phenomenal athletes. The athletes now just have more training, there's more understanding of what they need to take care of their bodies um, and they have more exposure because of, of technology allows us to be more mm-hmm. interconnected. Most definitely. And, and, and moving forward with that, as far as you know, life after sports, um, can you talk about and touch on what was that transition like? Because you know, a lot of guys now, even even probably before that, have a hard time adjusting it and trying to find that second part of their life to to keep them going, keep them young, keep them fresh and just keep them active and, and just find them Every guy after high school, college, pro, whenever you stop, it is a serious transitionary period. We all go through it. Some guys do it in a year or two. Some guys are taking 10 or 20 years. Some guys never make that transition in a, in a smart and smooth way. It is a difficult psychological transition because you put so much of, your, of you into being an exceptional yeah. athlete. It's, it's a commitment for that excellence. Um, that's, why, that's why athletes tend to be successful in business if they can understand how to psychologically transfer that work ethic, that determination, that focus, that killer instinct into other things in their life, and they can be successful. But it's a difficult, difficult transition. Again, no, we all go through it. I don't care who you are. I don't care how much money you have or don't have. I don't care what level you got to. It is a difficult transition psychologically mm-hmm. because your personality, your your whole being of who you are is tied into that. I remember me and being in high school and somebody says, what do you do? I said, I'm a football player. And I was. That was part mm-hmm. of who I was as a person. And I had to learn that. I had to be more than that. And I was, it was bigger than that. And that's one of the advantages that young people have today is that you're exposed to so much more stuff. And I wanted to be a football player and I wanted to be yeah. a businessman. And I accomplished both of those and at some level. I never thought I would be in teaching and be an educator for 17 years. And, and, that was a whole another dynamic. But <laughs> just the opportunities 
that sports opened up for me, and it gives you a, a different kind of mindset if you want if you leverage it to your advantage, because it does put you in an advantage of, of different than other people. You're able to go get up and do what you need to do every day. You didn't get up. Nobody had to make you get yeah. up and work out. Yeah. If you somebody has to make you get work out, you're not going to be an exceptional yeah. athlete. Like you be in the middle of that game and it's four quarter it's you and me and as a mono mono I'm beat your ass and you're gonna beat mine. That's yep. what it is. And you gotta have that mindset in order to go to the each next level. Um so yeah that's just it's just a real difficult process psychologically you have to prepare yourself that there's life after sports. And for me I just understood that education was important because I own that shit. Right. I know that stuff. I've had white people say to me that, you know, oh, you're smart for a black guy. I didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was not your expectation, but it was mine. Yeah, they, they don't never expect that. That's real. <laughs> and that's happened more than once in some spaces because, you know, a lot of times I was early in the software business and the internet started up in 96, 97, 98. I, I worked on uh, when Microsoft and when you use undo's in Microsoft Word, I worked for the company that invented that. They had a word processor that you could type in 35 different languages. I was, you know, uh, in that space. And, you know, there weren't a lot of us. So uh, I was, there were some of us now. When you use .com, .org, .edu, that was by some brothers out of, out of Philadelphia, Washington, D.C. areas came mm-hmm. up with that. So we're always in the game. There might not be a lot of us on the front front, front but we're always in the mm-hmm. game. We're behind the scenes making some stuff happen. Mm-hmm. And even like you said, you keep saying the, the word hunger, hunger, hunger. You said that a couple of times and uh, just going back and touching on the life after sports. You feel like um, just having that advantage, being in the, in the sports setting all your life uh, helps you. Yes, it's an advantage. But you have to be, I'm sorry, I'm in my backyard in Los Angeles. Oh, you're right. We just drove over with a helicopter. Um yeah, you had to you had to have mm-hmm. hunger, man, right? The success in life is about a desire to go shit, get shit done. If you look, if you look at Shaq's um, stuff that he's got on the TV, and he talks about his stuff. He's got a zillion dollars now, right? But he still got that that athlete's hunger, and he keeps that focus. And he, you know, it's hard for his kids to be a super athlete because they don't have to have that same hunger. They didn't have that hunger growing up. They didn't miss no meals. They didn't have no, right? So, you know, he's trying to instill that in them. But he still has it. And he that's why he's on the board of directors of Papa John's. You know, they was in bad shape to have to bring him on there. They never had no black folks on yeah. Papa John's board of directors to bring him in there. But he has the type of mindset that he can go in and make a difference and make himself a whole bunch of money because yeah. he'll be able to turn that company around. It's the killer's yeah. instinct. Yeah. yeah. And that's probably why he and Kobe had conflict, because they were both type A killer instinct right. people. Right. Alfred. That's true. And and that's just something that's like you said, that's just I, I feel like just missing a lot. Um and athletes today are just um, you know, young minorities and young black men uh, today. Um, but they get confused. Yeah. They think that they think the it feels level. Yeah. They think they got a couple of pennies. I played golf. I used to own a site for 18 years called Afrogolf.com. So I used to get to go to all the country clubs and play for free and do all that stuff. Plus, I play in some celebrity tournaments. So, you know, um, you go up in there, and I know the rules of the game. The unwritten rules. It says, dress code enforced. 
What the hell does that mean? They don't tell me what well, I got to have T-shirt. No, it says dress code in force. So that's some coded shit. But I know the I know the code, so I know how to wear my polo shirt, my my, my the right pants and the right shoes and all that. So I walk up in there and they and they look at my black behind and they go, "Damn, ah, I don't want to let this in here." But I don't know who he is. I don't know what he is. But he looks like he know he belongs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they some of them be pissed off. They work there, and I'm going up in there. And you know, some of these tournaments are five hundred, twenty five hundred dollars a day just to play in the freaking golf. Right? <laughs> <laughs> but it's unwritten rules you got to learn of the game, right? And they and these young people think that they're playing fillers level. Hell no, it ain't level. In '98, I went to the Masters in Augusta. Uh-huh. Right, I'm walking the day before they play, and I'm walking the field because I had one of the passes. I belonged to a group in San Diego called Contact Golf. It was a you know a grand or two to join. You had to pay a couple hundred dollars a month. You could only be a president or a vice president of a company, right? So I'm of course I'm the only black damn member in the group, right? There's 500 people in the organization. They have a have a join. My ass went the damn trip to Augusta. Booyah! San <laughs> <laughs> Diego, I got to go to Augusta. The ticket was $2,500 or $3,000. Now they're $35,000 just to walk around and look at the shit. This ain't playing. You just get to walk around and look to pay my airfare, my hotel, and all that. So I'm walking the grounds to Augusta, and, and, and you know, there's one black kid out there, and he sees me, so he comes over and have a conversation. It turns out his dad is the head major D. He got a PhD, right? And he was this is 1998. He's making $150,000 a year as the head Nader D at the Augusta. But he walked over and had a conversation with him because they don't see us on the field. <laughs> they walk around at Augusta. Yeah. They think the playing field people get confused. I think it's even. No, they're still behind the door shit. They're still racist yeah. shit. They're still knucklehead yeah. people. Can you have a great life? Yes. Are all white people bad? Hell right. no. Right? But there is that faction. There is that reality that shit ain't it ain't level and you ain't 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 you know considered equal by many of these people. So you just have to be aware, cognizant. You get confused. I know I put my I'm in my car and driving around LA and shit. I don't give a shit about how many degrees I got and how much. Little stuff I got, I gotta be aware because they put yeah, my ass yeah. over there. Like, but shit, my yeah, ass. Still anyway. black. Still I'm still black. black, no matter where I'm at yeah, in America. Still black. They don't care. They don't care. That piece of paper, all them accolades, I don't mean a thing to them. Come on, man. And they, as you know, it only takes that small, that one guy to be yeah. a fool. Yeah. I mean, and, it, and it's not, not to say all, most cops ain't bad. It's just that little percentage of them that got a gun and a license to shoot a motherfucker. <laughs> 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 you got me all discombobulated. Man, you good. You good. <laughs> but no, I mean, uh, I got a question. You, I was going to say, uh, I got a question to talk about the business part of size and everything. Uh, you started eSports Instructions. Can you uh, explain what was your whole mindset to uh, make it up? Man, you had to be aware. I just, like, again, I was talking to a former baseball player shortly, a little bit ago, right? Of what's going on and where stuff's going to go. So back in 1998, I ended up owning a company that we started, um, ePlaybook Football Basics 101. We did a gamified esports shit back in 1998. That's how far ahead of the mm-hmm. curve we were. 
but it was dial up. It wasn't no uh, high speed in the no yeah, no G three, no G four, no G five coming along. This is a phone line. And so, you know, you just see where the trends are going and position yourself. Right. So I just saw uh, they said talk about this game stuff. I walked in a the room, they had these internet stuff, and I get shit. They didn't create a whole new money cycle. This is where the money's gonna be. And I and I just kind of followed that mm-hmm. process, right? And so you, you just have to be aware of where the trends are in the world and what's going to happen. We're in a new dynamic. We got a pandemic going on. Pandemic, they had the same shit in 1918. This right. shit ain't new. They just, you know, <laughs> they just want to be ignorant and think, oh, no, 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 no. Psych shit goes in cycles up, down. Every hundred years, they're going to have something that they don't know how to deal with. And it's going to hit us and That's all real. that stuff. And as a business person, you just want to be aware, even just a person in general, of what's mm-hmm. going on. If you can be aware and kind of get a little ahead of the curve, then you might make a penny or two. I have made money, yeah. lost money, you know, but it's the process. It's, it's my shit. I didn't done it. Didn't nobody get exactly. me boo-boo. Right. <laughs> so ain't nobody tell me how to do my stuff. But you just have to be cognizant and aware of what's going on. Position yourself to facilitate things that are going to happen. I just tell uh, this, I need some some, some gas money and I, I have a 100,000 um, barcodes, yeah. right? So I yeah. bought them back in 1998. Well, that's worth, you know, four or five months worth of mortgage yeah. payment yeah. now. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so I need to sell yeah. them this month, this week, right? So, right? But I bought them. I ain't done nothing with them. Now I need some gas money. Boom. One of my other buddies, he's, he does coins, right? So he wanted to buy him a, a, a place in, in Hawaii. So he said, okay, I'm going to liquidate some of my coins and I'm going to buy me a piece of land in Hawaii and build me a new damn house. That's how many coins he got, yeah. right? So you just have to figure out your space and just do a little bit of something. As long mm-hmm. as you're doing something, the rest of the shit will come, mm-hmm. come clean, right? You'll figure out how to position yourself. So when I started Esports Destruction, again, I worked for that company, Nice and Software. I helped them do $1.8 million selling a $99 product in 18 months. They didn't want to pay them my bonus. So I said, F you, and I <laughs> left them, right? Yeah. Dan Audick, who was the starting left tackle for the 49ers when they won the first Hoop Bowl in 1980. Uh, and I ain't going to go into that. But he was my partner, so we went out and started our own little deal. And and, and we sold some some uh, products and made a little money. And, and you know, partnerships mm-hmm. don't always work. But it's okay, right? I got some experience. When I got that job at Nices, let me backtrack a little bit. When I got the job at Nices, I got it because I had been in the internet business. And I said, I need to know the yeah. software shit. So how can I learn it? Well, you can't just take a class. No, shit. Let me go get a job where somebody right. pay my ass to learn this shit. All right? So they paid me 50 grand plus bonuses to go and do that shit. And I took less than the other person, but I had a different <laughs> mission. My mission was to get the damn knowledge so I could do my own shit, right? Because knowledge is power. So you put it on left or not, I, always, I, always, I got the knowledge to go with me wherever yeah. I go. Right? So I, I did that. I helped them make a lot of money. Right, they didn't want to pay them my bonus. They were cheap people. They didn't understand. It always ends up being about people, right? They should be a two billion or twenty billion dollar company. They're still a little, little tiny company, almost out of business because they never valued their people. So I worked for them, and then you know it pissed me off after they didn't want to give me my little bonus. And so Dan and I started that company. We did our things for a couple of years. The dot com market would belly up, and then I ended up uh, going and um, and. Uh, you know, doing my own thing, and that's how I end up starting esports destruction. I come, you know, off and on for, you know, like I said, I, I started that mm-hmm. in 2000. Yeah. But I, I was in space in 96, 97, 98, 99, 
Uh, worked for, I worked for uh, Nysis and then working uh, and doing my own little thing with Dan as my partner. We did our first gamified esports product. And then we started, and we've done various projects over the over the years. And the last couple of years, we've been doing athletes tech and business, like a mini shark tank type mm-hmm. thing around the country, and uh, in about uh, four to eight cities per uh-huh. year. Um, so you just evolve. I had a license with with the Rose Bowl one year. I, you know, you just leverage opportunities, and I got that license because I had a relationship with somebody that opened the door to something else, and he got me that doggone license, and I was able to go ahead and sell these little Many footballs licensed by the Rose Bowl will make some money a couple of years, right? But so don't take the stuff. So you just have to position yourself mentally, just be aware of what's going mm-hmm. on. You read stuff, don't just look yeah. at the videos, you're reading stuff and you you and see where the trends are going. You position yourself to, to, to get to make yeah. a little money yeah. and keep eating. Our kids ain't missed the pill. You gotta maintain and keep a hustler's mindset. So I'm a firm believer if, if you ain't ahead of times, you living in them. And um yeah. and, uh, and and going on that, it seemed like you had more sort of upper hand of, of, of knowing what's going on and, and being tapped in and seeing what's happening around you. What, what were some of the things that kind of shifted your energy towards that of, of getting getting and seeking that type of information? But again, I've always been a person that's going to be a sponge. Yeah. You guys are sponges, right? That's why you yeah. all be successful. You have the right mindset, right? The mindset is you, you have to put yourself around people that have the same positive energy. If you've got effed up energy, yeah. I ain't messing with you. I'm going to cut you behind yeah. out and kick you to the curb. And, 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 you know, you have to keep those kinds of people. You can feed off those people. You give them energy, they give you energy, right? And, and that allows you to grow and, and be productive. And they'll tell you the truth. Your ass is doing the wrong damn thing. This is what you need to do. Okay, let me, let me step back and look at this. Right. And you have to have those. And that's the part, the problem with, with the president. Right. He has too much tunnel vision and he got too many people around him that tell him you do it. You, 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 uh, they, you know, what yeah. they kiss asses. Right. You need people around you that are going to tell you, look, Reg, you need to do ABCD. So, again, like I said, I did with Marvin, Marvin Fleming and I do, you know, who's Super Bowl champ for a time. And I deal with Harold Jackson. 17 years he played in the league. He's 5'10". Right, Bob Grant, Super Bowl Five champion. You know, we I hang with people that facilitate the stuff. I got business partners that are Caucasian. <laughs> <laughs> right, I got the partners out of New York. I got this lady out of out of out of Florida called and said, "Your partner, he's a beast. He's an animal." I said, "Yes, we make money together." <laughs> right, <laughs> he's a beast. I can do. Hey, okay, we make money. Okay, right. He ain't nice. He ain't smooth, but he's a grinder. Right, he's a good person. You know. He ain't, he don't keep me in none of that. So he, I said, I can deal with that. I don't want to deal with nobody whining. No, you want to facilitate and, and put yourself with people that are going to elevate you. You don't want to be the smartest person in the room. <laughs> then you got it. You want to put, be putting yourself in rooms where you get challenged, where you can grow in my new book. I talk about growth. I read a book that talks about the client is the center of, of, of everything, right? You're not thinking about who you're selling to, mm-hmm. and you ain't gonna sell boo boo, right? Like I said, I took nicest from 186 dollars to 1.8 million. I had a zero budget, but I got us in 14 Apple magazines. I did a dog going. Um, now we was competitors for Apple for um for Microsoft Word at the time, and I got us in the 14 magazines for free. We gave away a 10 dollar version of our product. I made everybody sign up for an email list. So at the end of two years, they had 50 thousand people on the email list. And we had sold almost $2 million in product. Mm-hmm. 
And then, and I had one of my salespeople. They don't want to pay him two hundred sixteen dollars on thirty thousand dollars. He wouldn't collect the day. He hadn't collected for five years. All right. So of course I gave him two hundred sixteen dollars. So, but anyway, it's about people. It's about people. It's not about networking. It's about evolving relationships. People that you and relationships. You have to be in a room. I was at uh, um, Hollywood. Or what do you call it? A, uh, AI showcase in in um, Beverly Hills two years ago. Um, and one of the guys, it was a movie deal related to the artificial intelligence and how it's affecting and growing and all that stuff. But one of the guys said, you got to be in a room. It doesn't matter if you're the janitor or the guy speaking. If you're in the room, you might meet That's somebody good. and you might learn something. And now the room yeah. can be virtual. Now the room can be, we can have a conversation on the phone, right? Or we can yeah. have a Zoom conference. Or, you know, physically, uh, I've gotten on a plane and I was like, oh, and I got in the plane and flew to New York or Washington or, or, or Miami or whatever yep. the hell I had to go yep. and had a meet with somebody. When I had that software company, we were developing software. We had we spent one hundred fifty thousand dollars and out of two hundred fifty startup companies, we was number three and competing against two and have spent twenty five million. But I got I used to get in a plane in San Diego, fly to San Francisco, get in the rent a car, drive two and a half hours to Ukaipa, meet with my software developers for a half hour, and then yeah. roll back down the hill. That was my trip. So I spent all day getting up there and getting down just to have that half hour meeting. But I was able to develop multi million dollar worth of value software for less than a hundred thousand dollars. Right, so you got to position yourself. You got to leverage your opportunities and leverage your, your knowledge. It's all about the grind, and you know it always ends being about the grind. And you can compete with anybody. We are we are the purveyors of popular culture yeah. around the world. Why are we the purveyors? Because yeah. we're the most creative people. Who the heck ever could, else could have survived what we yeah. survived as a people right. and thrive? Again, we are the purveyors of popular culture around the world. Yeah. Right, and that is because we ha- we are as a people are driven to make things happen, and we don't let anything stop us. And sometimes our mm-hmm. our kids forget right. that, right? That this stuff didn't come free. They just stuck they stuck them dogs on them, and you know. And I can't I can't watch certain movies. I don't even, I can't go to the African American Museum. I don't need to see that. Yeah. That just makes me angry. I don't need to be angry. I just need yeah. to focus my energy. Then I'm pissed off and want to slap somebody. I don't need to slap nobody. I need to be going to jail today. I mean, it's good that you say that too, because I think at the end of the day, um, a lot of a lot of our youth, you know, in our communities, you know, it's really just that we we taught the wrong things at the end of the day. Um, so I'm just glad that you, you know, able to put it in perspective of how important it is to be able to um, just put yourself in position for the things that you want to. And like you said, um, just being an expert in the industry, um, when you're an expert, you're able to uh, predict ind- industry trends um, like you have. So just talk a little bit about, um, you know, how we're taught as kids. Um, everything should be self-made and we should do everything ourselves. But then having that balance of, like you said, not being the smartest person in the room and allowing others to help you get there too. Okay, I step around other people yeah. that are going to help elevate you, right? That's one of the things that's important is to put yourself in a position where people can add value to you, you can add value to them. And I'm always learning, even at my age. I'm learning every doggone day. I'm reading stuff every day. I'm, I'm putting new information. When I taught, I taught high school and in middle school English for 17 years, right? I always have my business thing, though, right? Mm-hmm. And so... I would learn stuff from the kids every day. Oh, shoot, a different perspective. Now, 
Did I teach them an add value to their lives? Mm. A lot of times, right? But they added value to mine. So yes, you had to keep understanding that you want to, but knowledge is power. You own whatever you have on your brain, you own, right? You need academic skills so that you can navigate the, the, the process. So you can get in the room and pr produce and show them how exceptional yeah. you are. Yeah. Um, now, you said you were a teacher for about 17 years. What went into that decision that you was like, I'm about to become a teacher? I know you said you did a lot of writing. Like you did a uh, creative writing when you was in college and you minored in business, uh, business administration. Tell me, like, what made you go into the teaching business? My business, I'm going to teach When I went to teach my friends go, you a shark, man. You kill shit. Right. 2003, I was in a Time magazine when I, uh -huh. I became a teacher. Right. People making a transition from other industries successfully. And um, it, I wasn't expected to do that. But you pivot, you adapt, you adjust. Right. Never into my wildest dreams that I expect think I would be a teacher for a day, a week, a month, not, and let alone 17 years. Okay. <laughs> because you're dealing with a lot of dysfunctional <laughs> knucklehead people. Now, inherently, most of the people who care about the kids and then want to help them, some of them just ain't got skills to understand our kids. And I'm, a lot of times I taught yeah. urban kids, right? Um, mm -hmm. Black and brown kids. And, and then I also taught international students for 10 years. I had a contract. Uh, but I, again, before I go up into that, I did not plan on going into that. The opportunity opened. I had gotten rid of the software company, moved to L.A., um, decided to go have some kids with my wife. I wasn't having no kids because I was selfish and self-centered. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that's how I ended up teaching. Right? <laughs> so I saw a sign. I, I went and said, let me go and do. I had taken all them classes. I was qualified to do it. I get in it. And again, you try to do everything at a high level and I'm doing exceptional. The state of California, I end up doing a good job and end up, um, again, being on the state board to actually create the assessments for the test, right? The state high school exam when they had that in 2011. And then the, the, the uh, test that people take when they're a second language learner. I even, you know, did uh, worked on that team for three or four times. Actually, even earlier this year, I was in Sacramento. So you just, you know, do everything you do at a high level and the rest of it just falls in place. No, my ass did not plan on teaching, and especially for 17 yeah. years. All right. Uh, speaking on that, how many of those students did, like, that free game that you gave to them, how many of them did those students take that and run with it? Oh, no, 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 no. I have students that are, I got a postcard from the Vatican one time. One of my students, you know, sent me a postcard saying, thank you, Mr. Grant. You touch people. You have an impact on people's lives. It's a positive thing, right? But yeah. that's some hard-ass shit, right? It's, it's draining. It's psychologically draining. It's emotionally draining. It's physically draining. It's a hard, you know, a hard deal. But again, you impact people in a positive way, and I got, you know, some return on that as well. Um, so, I, you know, I helped a lot of people, right? But uh, uh, that's, that's, yeah, I'm glad I'm not doing that every day. I still teach a class at Boston College. You know, I again, you want to try to do things at a high level. I, I taught international students for 15 years. Uh, when I say international, it's actually international from Paris and um, Brazil and all over the world. Uh, I taught uh, English as a second language students. Part of that process, uh, I taught a group that came from Paris, French Jewish kids every summer. And then I left the company that I was working with. And as a result, Two years later, they find me 
And I had a contract for seven years. I won't be here this summer, but I had a contract for seven years where I actually was the, uh, uh, they had about 80 kids here in LA and Miami. They come over every year to the American Jewish University and I have five, six teachers working for me and we provide their summer program for them. And they, you know, for three hours, we teach them their English and all that stuff. And then they go off there and go to Rodeo Drive. But I got that contract as a result of doing an exceptional job when I had was working for that other company. They came and found me. Right. right? And then I got the contract, had that contract for seven years. And then I also teach a class like at Boston College, right? Right, a sports management class. Again, I met somebody else. I opened the door. I did a good job. And that led to uh, uh, that position. And now this summer, I'll be doing mm-hmm. that class remotely from my living room, my house. And when it comes <laughs> to that, for us teaching and in the business side, which one do you think that, that comes more natural to you? Which which one's more you more, I don't say more passionate about, but it's just, it's just that much more easy. Well, again, every, everything you do, you just kind of evolve. And if you try to do everything at a high level, do it exceptionally well. And it just becomes part of who you are. You know, when you're teaching, you're, you're empowering people, which empowers you. So when you empower somebody else, that gives you energy back. Um, it's, you know, life is not that complicated. People make it complicated. You help people, you know, you know, it's amazing how much you'll get back from just giving something to somebody. Right? Now, now, now that doesn't mean you should be getting pimped and not getting paid. <laughs> Right, but but you can give in, in ways that empower other people, um, and that will give back to you. So I, you know, I'm a businessman, and I still I, I teach that class, uh, sports management. That'll be at Boston College every summer. I taught it last summer. Um, of course, there's 250 people there in that in that program, all from around all around the world, and there were only six of us. Right, 250. Right, and I was the uh, only teacher that looked like us. Right, but my class is full. And, <laughs> and, and for those that's listening, how, how can they, you know, say tap in and, and be a part of this class? You just have to, have, you just have to add value to people. You add value, mm-hmm. people, your value gets added back to you. So yeah, then, then going off of that, um, I like how you talk about, you know, just exposing yourself to different things, like you said, having to fly different places and drive different places just for you to be able to see um, what was out there. Um, so as you accumulate all of that into one, um, how has that, you know, allowed you to um, be able to, I, I know that you said you've produced um, a, a film um, and then you've also written a book as well. So you have so many different life experiences to where you can combine them all into one and help different people. Uh, talk about a little bit about your um, desire to do both of those two things with the film and the book coming out. Well, the film was, I, I, again, it's about people, right? I connected with these, with, with Cookie Gilchrist is one of the greatest football players to ever play. So I met him and he started telling me this story about his stuff. And it was when the, in 1965 and we have, uh, he did part of that, right? But uh, the black all-stars boycott at the American Football League all-star game in, in New Orleans because they were so racist, right? So they had to move the game because all the black players, 30 of, 30 of the 31, boycotted the game. So they moved it to Houston. So that's how that project. But again, it's about people. I connected with somebody that was actually there underground and they had never told a story or nobody had talked about it from our perspective. In terms of writing the book, I started writing books I had, I had knowledge, but I had a, piece, a master's piece of paper. 
So I need to go back and get my master's. So I went back and got my master's so I could make mm-hmm. sure I could get my gas money, right? And so as a result of doing all this work with this piece of paper, and I already had the knowledge, right. I just had a piece of paper, right? <laughs> so we got the paper so it'll match the knowledge. And so then I said, well, I did all this work. Well, I need to put it in a book. Well, I just put it in my, did my little first book. Now, you know, half dozen, dozen, dozen books or so. My 12-year-old, no, no, she's 14 now has written uh, a book ordered about four years ago. She's on her second uh-huh. book because she's taking it home with me. She's a 16-year-old, be 17 this summer. This will be her third book that she'll finish of why we're stuck to her home, right? So I'm just making them, and the whole purpose is I don't give a boo-boo what they're writing. I just want them to develop the skill set of how to learn how to think and apply that right. to whatever they're doing in life. Mm-hmm. And, and even going with that, Talking about the class and the, how how can our listeners probably get 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 any additional information about <laughs> taking the class, being a part of it? Well, they can always email me. They can always find me at reginaldgrant.com. That's just like my name, Reginald Grant. I own Reginald Grant. I own my brand. Uh, I have uh, the book I did before this one here. My newest book that just dropped tomorrow. Is entrepreneur your guide to starting your business? Um, it's on sale today for twelve bucks instead of nineteen. Yeah, yeah Amazon will be nineteen uh, tomorrow. Um, but uh, managing your brand, you can pimp me, but you must pay me. When I wrote that one uh, <laughs> last year, right? So my my other people uh, they call me or email me and say, Reginald, that's a bit harsh. It's okay to put one for them, right?" <laughs> It's okay. You can pimp me, but you must pay me. I just, I just understand that. <laughs> I said, I tell me, it's like, ah, but it's okay. <laughs> but you can always find me at ReginaldGrant.com. Google me. Uh, you know, there's 250,000 Reginald Grants in America, yeah. but I own that trash. <laughs> so I position my little brand so I can facilitate what I need to facilitate. My kids can eat every day. And that's, you know, the bottom line for me. It's always about family. It's all about, about relationships and adding value to people. Most definitely. And that's what yeah, I'm about. I like, I like how you talked a, l- a little bit about, oh, you know, instilling the things um, that you need to in your kids, um, allowing them uh, to write books and, you know, just have the imagination that they need um, to be able to, like you said, make it in this world earlier. So uh, with um, translating those things to your kids, um, what's something that you would tell your younger self um, looking back or just any advice you have for the youth today? My younger self. Oh man, I was. Are you think I'm wild now? <laughs> this is the kind of gentler version of me. This is just, um, you know, mm-hmm. take advantage of all the opportunities, right? I did a pretty good job of that. But there's probably some that I let slip through my fingers. Um, and and just be aware of, of, of people have value, right? Um, that's why I probably have have. Uh, uh, three daughters, because you know, guys got yeah, a sense of humor. Got to. <laughs> uh, well, I got a question before we get in this last segment. I just gotta know since you played in NFL, you play football a lot. Can you tell me, since I'm I'm significantly younger than you, can you tell me something about a Jim Brown or Earl Campbell? <laughs> Beat. <laughs> they would eat your children. Yeah. Killer instinct. Killer instinct. Again, Jim Brown, Earl Campbell. They just ma- mauled people. You had to remember football was a little different. They didn't throw the ball as much. 
So they mm-hmm. physically hit people upside the head. You can clothesline people, right? When you as a DB running down the field with a receiver, you can you can just grab him, but you can push him and you mm-hmm. can shove him, and it was a battle. Now if you touch yep. him, it's a flag, right? So it's so much easier for a receiver to be able to get open and and get separation and all that stuff. In the old days, it was physically much more demanding. Um, and again, you know, I, I, I it was it's just a whole different dynamic. I, I got hurt my junior year in college and went from a probably a second or third round pick to a ninth round pick. They had nine rounds back in the day. Yeah. Right? Uh, because they got pushed. Uh, Ahmad Rashad, who was then was Bobby Moore, who played about 15 years in the league, all prior, had gotten hurt and they cut part of the wall out. I played at the University of Oregon and then they left the ends of the wall in and I ended up getting hurt and hitting that wall. Mm-hmm. Right? So my stock as, a, as an athlete went down. But yes, it was just phys- physically, physically more demanding. You know, they could run you to your drop. They didn't have to give you no water. Um, and, you know, the, the propensity to have drugs and all that stuff, steroids <laughs> and all that shit was all in the locker room and all that. You could just walk up. They had big old five-gallon little things on the counter. And you could just grab some. So them people, I wasn't taking that shit. Right? But anyway, mm-hmm. right, they want to give it to me like mm-hmm. that, the shit ain't yeah, good for me. on that right? just before <laughs> with the coronavirus and all this going on. How, how, how have you been utilizing this time for us to – whether it's in any business or any other creative processes you got going on right now. Like, I... mm-hmm. Come on, man. I'm grinding. <laughs> this is a, this is a, I'm making stuff happen. I got to, you know, I was in, in Washington, D.C. the 14th of March. We had our Watkins Award, the 29th annual, and we went and pulled it off and then got in the plane and got my happy behind. And I'm there. I'm like, okay, they finna like this out, what I need to do. So I created my own podcast. So I got a podcast that, that I'm doing now once or twice a week. Just talking to people, having conversations. We can get on that. I don't talk as long as we do here. Um, just quick tidbits of information. I got Zoom where we're doing uh, uh, online webinars a couple of times. They got a new webinar that'll start a week from Friday. That is a uh, how to how to start your business. So you can have a conversation with me. Get online and, and we can talk for four weeks and help you guide you through that process of of taking that idea and turning it into something where you can eat, right? Mm-hmm. And it's all about eating and it's all about having your own stuff, right? So uh, I've had jobs, but I always, always had my own stuff that I owned. So when they pissed me off, which is usually after a year or two, right? I get to, yeah. you know, tell yeah. them, I'm out. This is having I'm out. I'm gone. Right? I had always had my little stuff going on. So no matter how I was making that transition, my wife couldn't get mm-hmm. mad because she knew I was going to pay the mortgage every month and maybe we going to eat. And we didn't care where I was at what I was doing, I was going to facilitate that process. So this year for me has just been a, a windfall in terms of I'm able to grind some stuff out. It's hard for the kids to be confined and not being able to have that social interaction, but it's also a blessing if you're on your kids and help them facilitate the process and continue to make sure that they get their stuff done. Their grades should actually improve if you make them do it. But again, if a kid doesn't have access, then that's when we talk about equity and and why things are not fair and even because everybody doesn't have internet access or have a laptop or, or or be able to have unlimited on their phone. So that that deprives that kid of access to that information. But you just got to be on them as much as you can. Make sure you're trying to get them to read. Even if it doesn't matter what they're reading, as they're reading, that will increase their skills. And reading and writing is, is the core because if you can read well, that means you can learn any damn thing. Doesn't matter what they throw at you. 
And that's the key. You want to be able to absorb the information. And we all learn in different ways. So we want to figure out how you learn. And you want to focus on that. People don't understand it's all about whatever it is that you need to receive that information in. That's how you need to be starting to try to get it. And with your kids, you just want to put them in a position where they can be creative. It doesn't matter what they write as long as they're writing. Right? So it's just about exercising the brain. The brain is just another muscle. And you just have to mm-hmm. exercise until it's fuller so that it, it can right. function at the highest yeah. level. And and just to our listeners, we got we got a lot of people who who will be listening to this trying to, you know, figure out their next move and different things like that. So just with, with us, you know, creating this platform, um, allowing athletes to come on, business professionals and people who just want to, you know, speak their life experiences. Uh, for somebody who's, you know, created podcasts and created different businesses and kind of made their own way, um, what's some advice that you have for us um, and things that we should look out for, um, be looking to um, just to improve, you know, for our platform and things like that? Do you have any advice? Yeah. Don't worry about failure. You got to just do it. Start your business today. Do your thing today. Success is your steps to, it's, it, are, are just, it doesn't yeah. happen immediately. Right? Everything is an evolutionary process. Sometimes it happens, you know, you make stuff and, and then you, go, you don't do it right or you don't make money. This business doesn't work. And it doesn't matter. Right? I've owned tax services. I own an Italian restaurant once. Yeah. That was <laughs> work though. Shit. But anyway. <laughs> Right, so somebody owed me some money on a, on a, on a real estate deal, so they gave yeah. me the restaurant so they can pay me my money. Right, so I was in the back cooking <laughs> lasagna. Right, so my biggest thing yeah. would be to start. Doesn't matter what you're doing, whether you start an online reseller business, whether you take a creative idea and do something, whether you're you know hustling on the street. I'm I'm just a educated right. hustler. Yeah. That's all I am. Right, I've just put took academic skills and said, okay, how do you apply this? so that you can learn the unwritten rules of the game. Because they ain't going to tell you all the rules and all the hidden stuff. You got to get in and get some experience. And the only way to get experience is by doing. Failure is your steps to success. Right? And again, I have a class starting next week, so if you want to get online and learn that stuff, um, you guys are welcome. I'll connect the dots with that stuff. We can get online and do that stuff, and I'll be on. It'll only be a four-week, one- or two-one-hour class. But it'll kind of give you access to new information where you can have conversations and facilitate stuff. And 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 yeah. you just have to do yeah. stuff, guys. That's all it is. Don't procrastinate. Right? One of my guys, like I said, I was just talking to a former baseball player. And he's like, well, I've been searching and doing Man, shit. Just pick one thing. I'm going to do uh, delivery or I'm going to – no, 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 no. Pick one. But I'm going to do an intern. Hell no. Just go ahead and get you – uh, with somebody that's already got a business going up, let them pay you a little money. You learn the business. Now you can start your own shit. If you don't have any knowledge, you don't mm-hmm. know what, what it takes to do that business. So you got to learn. You may start trying to get paid while you're learning. Like I said, when I went to work for that software company, I needed to learn the software side of the business because I knew that was going to be huge. So I, I went and got a job in the software mm-hmm. space. I would have took any damn job. I just needed to learn the space. Then I can navigate it. Right, yeah. but you got to understand the rules of the game. Yeah. The unwritten yeah, rules. We thank you for that. We appreciate that. <laughs> okay. Definitely do. Uh, we got this last little segment. Uh, it's called Push It to the Limit. I'm going to be asking you a couple questions. They might jump in and ask a question or two as well. Um, are you are you ready to do it? You ready to go ahead? <laughs> I'm ready 24 step, man. I ain't got no damn thing. All right, all right. Uh, what's your favorite um, album? Musical album 
that you listen oh, to? Oh man, I'm an old guy. I need jazz. I want. I don't want nobody else's words <laughs> like in my brain when I'm trying to think. All right, so what jazz artist? Uh, Billy Coltrane. Billy Coltrane, I got you. I got you. Um, John <laughs> Sorry. All right, uh, movie. You got uh, Superfly or the Mac? Which one you picking? Oh, <laughs> Mac. <laughs> Mac. Man, my man, Goldie. Yeah. All right, uh, favorite vacation sp- place? My backyard uh, on the golf course mm-hmm. for the cigar. <laughs> Monte Cristo White, baby. All right, you say that. You say that. Favorite, uh, favorite drink? Oh, I drink scotch if I'm drinking. I got you. I got you. Uh, y'all got any questions before we uh? Nope. Uh, uh, this last one. Uh, f- favorite player growing up, football player growing up, or just athlete? Favorite athlete of all time. Mm. Okay. Mm. Gail yeah, Sayers. Two. That's a good one. That's a good one. Oh my God, Gail Sayers was a beast, man. <laughs> Stop on a dime. Yeah, it would be yep, it would yep, be um, yep, uh, Barry Sanders yep. after that. Yep. That's another good one. That's another one. Real identical right there. Uh, I really ain't got no more thing to ask, for real. All right, guys, I got another call to make. Peace, love, and happiness. I'm Reggie Grant. You need to reach me, ReginaldGrant.com. Guys, I enjoyed it. Had a great time. <laughs> no, I know I talked to you damn much. Yep, All right, talk to you soon. Episode of, uh, thank you. Episode. My pleasure, guys. Definitely. Reach out whenever you need me. Will do. And I'll let you, you just reach okay, out to me. I'll introduce some more people to come on and talk. It won't be as wild well, as like I am, that. but you'll you get some people to talk. Yeah, I like that. Appreciate it. <laughs> All right, guys. Have a great day. Be safe. Yeah, Stay like safe. Well. And, and peace out. Ah, That's another uh, episode like of well, Authentic man. Talk. Yeah, we'd like to thank y'all for listening in, man. And, uh, like I said, as somebody that you know embodies uh, what it's like to you know be in the world of sport, business, and sharing your life experiences, man. So... Um, you know, he definitely has the blueprint um, into how we should be, you know, na- navigating our life, you know, no matter what we're doing. Um, so once again, I was Reggie Grant. would like to thank my brothers Hump and Wayne for getting on that one with me. Um, and, you know, we got some special guests coming on again. So we, we'll talk to y'all soon, man. We'll see y'all on the next one.